Good morning, and God bless each of you. I would echo what Matt said, that uh, let's take this time of Christmas to reflect upon God and, and who Jesus is and draw closer to him and tell the story. If you have opportunity, by all means, tell the story. And each time you tell the story, uh, you grow deeper in your understanding of God. I've titled the message this morning, The Triune God. I don't know if you use that word, triune, often, but I want to... Uh, Reflect upon God and who he is. The word triune means the union of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one Godhead. The threefold personality of that one divine being. So who is Jesus to you? And what do you think of when you... Uh, Think of the triune God or God. The word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, but the doctrine of the triune God is one of the most prominent doctrines in the Bible. And it's not laid out very uh, verse by verse that you just go to chapter 12 and there it is. It's all throughout scripture. And so it takes work to, uh, to dig for the scriptures and to open up this beautiful doctrine of the Trinity and the triune God. When you think of God, I hope and trust all of you think of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Christmas time and the birth of Christ, the incarnation is the, the miraculous story that many will deny. So you have many religions that if you're going to minister to uh, Islam and Jehovah Witness and Many religions of the world, you will come to this doctrine. And I have had that experience in my ministry and my evangelism in ministering primarily to a Jehovah Witness. And this has deepened my understanding and, and uh, I'm working at uh, my uh, ability to defend from the scriptures uh, what the triune God means. And what does it mean to you? Who is Jesus? There are many religions who believe that Jesus is a prophet. There's many religions that believe Jesus is an angel. Michael, the archangel. I was surprised to discover that Seventh-day Adventists would teach you that, that Jesus is Michael. They would not uh, teach that he had a beginning as Jehovah Witness would. And uh, many other religions are uh, simply deny the profound truth of a triune God. And my prayer is that we would be able from scripture to uh, deepen our understanding and appreciation of this triune God. I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think of the only begotten son of God. What does the word begotten mean? And if you were asked, as I was asked recently, when did the father say to the son? In Psalm 2, it says the father said to the son. In Hebrews 1, 
This day have I begotten thee. And I had to think deep about that question and and, uh, think a little deeper about what does it mean to be begotten. And when you think about Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, what, uh, how would you explain that? And when did the Father say to the Son, This day have I begotten thee? What the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, leaders were called together to settle a long dispute about Christ's relationship to the Father. We primarily have, uh, accepted the truth, maybe not wrestled deeply with scriptures to defend it, but they did. Before 325 A.D., this was a long-disputed question. And at the Council of Nicaea, this disagreement had been sparked by the teaching of Arius, a church leader from Alexandria, who said Jesus was neither eternal nor divine, but had been created by God the Father before the world was. And at the in the Nicene Creed, which came out of that, uh, they countered this false teaching by a written uh, statement and simply describing Christ as the begotten Son of God, not created. And we sing that Christmas carol, begotten, not created. And I've sang that many times and not really thought deeply about what I was singing and what that really means. Begotten, not created. And these leaders wrestled through that and came up with the simple truth that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He had no beginning in relation to his divinity, but he had a beginning, and begotten simply means born. Very simple word, and it's used in... The Greek word, I'll talk about it a little bit later. So, I want you to think about how you would answer those questions. And maybe after the sermon, I'll give you opportunity to comment on uh, this if we have time. What does it mean when you say the only begotten Son of God? What do you think about And when did the Father say to the Son, This day have I begotten thee? And I may answer some of them uh, as to what I believe it means. And when I believe the Father said that to the Son. And I'll give you opportunity to comment if you have any comments. So I mentioned I had the privilege of witnessing to a Jehovah Witness who uh, claimed that he was one of the anointed ones chosen of the 144,000 in Revelation 7. I only met one of them. Not all Jehovah Witnesses would claim to be in that group, but they believe that uh, God selects anointed ones out of those who are already believers and sets them apart as sons of God. And they have this experience of being born in the Spirit and and, uh, they will rule with Jesus in heaven over the earth, and the rest will be resurrected to live on the earth. That's uh, a belief of Jehovah's Witnesses. And after studying this, it, uh, it is quite alarming there, and in talking to this particular Jehovah's Witness, I discovered that they believed that Jesus had a beginning, and he was created as an angel, 
before the world began, and he was involved in all creation, but he had a beginning. And then when he was born of uh, the Virgin Mary, he was born as a son of Adam in humanity, totally denying his divinity. And at his baptism is when they would believe that this is when the father said to the son, this day have I begotten thee. So when you have that beautiful uh, experience of the triune God involved in the baptism, Jesus, the God, the son was baptized, came up out of the water and the spirit of God came upon him and the voice of the father came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It doesn't say this day have I begotten thee at that experience. And so then they also believe that after Jesus' resurrection, at some point, he, his humanity left him and during the ascension or somewhere because flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a little bit of the errors of Jehovah Witness. And so if you ever run into them, you'll have to defend from scripture the triune God. And it really is foundational to our Christian faith to have this right and to understand and appreciate from scripture uh, who Jesus is and when you're saying and, and uh, the simple verse we use many times for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life what does that mean the only begotten son well, Jesus himself said that there will be many false Christs and many false prophets who will arise and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And so there's a very blinding, deceptive spirit amongst many of these religions in relation to who God is, the triune God. And in 1 John 4, 3, we're not to believe Every spirit that confesses that not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. There's many that deny Jesus coming in the flesh and that uh, Jesus is God. So I'm going to uh, just share a little bit about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to spend more of the time in the sermon talking about the Son because it is Christmas time and focus in on the Incarnation and primarily the only begotten Son of God. So there are two things that we believe about God with equal emphasis. There is one God. And there is a trinity of personalities and each personality is recognized as God. So there is one God. Uh, that verse is taken from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Very clear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. And that is repeated also in the New Testament uh, in Mark, where it's very clear that God, there is one God. And many religions, Islam and Jehovah Witness and other religions also claim to that one God. And 
Many Jews would deny uh, a trinity as well, yet blinded in their understanding of this triune God. Their own Messiah came from the Jewish people, and uh, they have not yet in their minds been opened up to receive their own Messiah. But uh, this one God also is recognized as three persons. God the Father is recognized as God, and God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to share a few verses that uh, support that. It's a deep subject, and so we're going to skim the surface on this. 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. God the Father is brought out in fuller light in the New Testament than the Old Testament because of the greater prominence of the Son and his repeated references to the Father. So Jesus spoke many times in relation to his Father. And so in the New Testament, we see much more in relation to Jesus' ministry and his teaching about the Father and the Son. In the Old Testament, it was not uh, as clear. There were prophecies of the the coming Messiah, which we'll look at this morning in our Sunday school. God, the Son, is recognized as God as well. And here are the scriptures we need to memorize, be very familiar with. There are many of them. When you are witnessing to someone who's denying the Trinity or denying the triune God, there are clear scriptures that uh, open it up. And that's what I am trying to do. I would encourage each of you to, uh, to memorize these scriptures and use them for God's glory. And I'll give them a couple of you, the sun. We're going to look at one in our Sunday school lesson and... I don't know who our teacher is, but this is one we must get down, especially when you're witnessing to a Jehovah Witness. The first one is in Isaiah 9, 6, which will be in our Sunday school lesson. It's the name of Jesus. For unto you a child is born, and unto us us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. An everlasting father, prince of peace. There you have his name, meaning mighty God. They will answer you back saying he's not the almighty. And then you just follow through everlasting father and the prince of peace. The second one that is very clear in our Bibles, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, say it, was God. That's clear. So their version of the Bible will add one word. They had to change the text to make it fit their belief system, which is heresy. 
And so their Bible, if you ask them for their Bible, it will say this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. Small g God. And they're so adamant about there's one God. Now you read through that verse. How many gods do you see? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was a God, a small g God. So you have a small g God and a Jehovah God as they would understand it. And so this right here. Yes, it's foundational. We don't change scripture. And there's many others that we refer to uh, Jesus as God. John 10 30 is another one. If you want to write them down. Jesus said, I and my father are one. And that's in relation to uh, my sheep hear my voice. And he said, I and my father are one. John 17, 5. And now, O father, glorify Jesus saying this before his crucifixion. And now, O father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He was ready to be glorified through the crucifixion. And he's praying to the Father, glorify me with the glory that we had before the world was. There you see the eternal existence of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Hebrews 1.8 is another clear one. It says, but unto the Son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. And then John twenty twenty eight, Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. So Thomas answered Jesus, my Lord and my God. There's many others, but it is a good exercise to write those down and to defend the powerful truth and the doctrine of the triune God. The spirit is also recognized as God. Eternally, in Genesis 1 and 2, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In the Great Commission, equal recognition is given to the Spirit, the, the Son, and the Father. They're commanded to go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And uh, one other reference I will give, Acts 5, 3 to 4, Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira uh, Peter said, why, hath God, why has Satan filled thy heart to lie against to the Holy Ghost? And he said, you have not lied to men, but to God. I won't spend a lot of time on Holy Spirit, but I hopefully we all have our... Uh, Deeper assurance of the triune God that we serve. Now I'm going to talk about the rest of the time, the, uh, the sun. Christmas time is, is a time when we celebrate and praise God. I wanted to preach a message from Psalm 113, uh, praising God and how God works in the poor and how he works outside of human understanding. It works outside of uh, what we think all, many times. God is above, way above our ways and understanding. 
John 1, God the Son, I mentioned this verse here, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now the Word, or Jesus, was in the beginning. He was there in and during the creation, in the beginning. Genesis 1.1, we have the Spirit moving upon the face of the waters. We have clear scripture that nothing was created outside of Jesus. So Jesus was part of the creation. And uh, he was there in the beginning. And the second powerful truth is Jesus was God. Not a God, he was God. And that is uh, foundational to our understanding of the triune God. Now, the only begotten son, I want to uh, talk about the, the begotten son. I mentioned the uh, Council of Nicaea in 325, where they came up with this uh, Nicene Creed. And after that, it was pretty well accepted, and the, the triune God and the doctrine of the Trinity was primarily accepted by many church groups. But before this time, there was... Uh, a lot of disagreement and wrong teaching about the Trinity. So the word begotten is uh, the Greek word means to procreate. And so we're talking about the, uh, the birth. There are some of the words that are uh, translated out of this Greek word are to bear, beget, be born, bring forth, conceive, be delivered of, make spring. Uh, some of the English words that are translated out of this Greek word. And so if you do a Greek word study, you will find that it is, uh, its meaning is, reaches into the new birth. In John chapter 3, when Jesus said, you must be born again. Uh, that is this same Greek word. So being born again, we are born of God. So the begotten Son of God has everything to, uh, to do with the incarnation and the miraculous conception in the womb. And Jesus' birth that took place 2,000 years ago. John 1.14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the question I want you to think about in your minds, and maybe you can comment afterwards, what was the relationship like between the Father and Son before the Incarnation? What do you picture in your mind? Do you picture God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit having conversations together? They're one, right? We, we've settled that from Scripture. I, hopefully we all uh, see this triune God. But I picture God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit having conversations. And, and they're one. It tells us in 1 Peter 1, 19-23... 
that we are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So from that verse, it seems very clear to me that redemption and the redemption plan was in place before the foundation of the world. So before creation happened, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I believe, planned redemption before anyone was ever created, before Adam was created, and before the world was. And so we could look at many appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament as well, in the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar said, I see one, the fourth man, looks like the Son of God. Many appearances that uh, we see in the Old Testament of Jesus appearing. And now I want you to think about, and we may not be able to answer all these questions, but uh, this is what I thought about. When did the Father say to the Son, This day have I begotten thee? And so, right up to the moment of the Holy Spirit bringing conception to Mary, I believe the Father and the Son were in communication. Now, you go to life in the womb when Jesus became flesh. I believe it was at conception when the Holy Spirit uh, brought conception. Mary conceived and... uh, The child was born in the womb, and I believe at that moment is when Jesus was born in the flesh. So, I I would believe that the Father and the Son could continue to communicate. One of the pictures that came to my mind was John the Baptist and Jesus' little babies in the womb when Mary and Elizabeth got together. And they were together for several months, and it tells us that the babies began to leap in the womb. And there was a spiritual uh, connection. There was spiritual activity. And I believe that the same could happen uh, with the Father. Just uh, hold your comments till afterward if you have more to say about that. And then, of course, the, the, the day when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you have a child growing up. It's just, uh, you have to let your mind wander and, and uh, we don't know all the answers. We don't have a lot of written uh, details about Jesus' childhood. Climbing the hills of Nazareth, Cliff Schrock and I, when we were in Nazareth, we said uh, we were climbing this Mount Precipice in Nazareth, and we came to the conclusion that Jesus, as a boy, running around Nazareth, had to climb every mountain. All boys will climb every mountain. And so we just pictured Jesus climbing this mountain and spending time through the streets of Nazareth. But the question is, did Jesus know that he was the Son of God through his childhood and through the womb? And then you get to the age of 12, when he was in the temple, teaching And he was about, what did he say? I must be about my father's business. So he was 
then, of course, aware that he was the Son of God. So when he was awakened to his divinity, if that was uh, a process or if it was the whole way through, I don't know if we can really know when this exact moment was. I believe the God the Father could have said this to the Son before the conception in the womb as well. But this was the only begotten Son of God was the beginnings of his humanity. He had no beginnings in his divinity as the Son of God. But in humanity, this is where he began his life in flesh and blood. This was his beginning as a human. He was recognized as a Jew. He had uh, all the attributes belonging to human beings. He was tempted in Hebrews 4. It says he was uh, tempted in, in all points like we are, yet without sin. And so he is this uh, great high priest who can understand and identify with everything that we go through. He understands and can come along side of every one of us and empathize. Say, I know how you're feeling. I know what you're going through. I felt it. None of us can empathize in the way that Jesus can, but he can relate to us in our humanity, in, in our struggles, in our temptations, in our fallenness. But he cannot identify with our sin because he was without sin. So his Humanity began at that moment. His deity is evident in the fact that he was a son of the living God, being conceived by the Holy Spirit, and uh, his divinity, that miraculous conception. He was not born a son of Adam. He was born as a son of God, and he was God in the flesh. Just want to just close with a few uh, verses on his ministry, just to encourage us. The purpose and, and the reason for his coming to earth was to save. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So he came to save. And he came to bring salvation to the whole world. He is also our example. In John 13, he said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. He showed us how to live and he showed us how to die. So I believe that as we read and study the life of Jesus Christ, we can see an example for us to follow. And he, he uh, paved the way. He lived the life. He showed us what it means to, to live for God and to be part of his family. And then he showed us how to die and to, to willingly give his life. He is also our intercessor. And I love this part of his ministry. When Jesus left the scenes of earth, after his resurrection, he appeared to, to many. 
by many infallible proofs. And he ascended to glory where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh, he is interceding. He is given a ministry of intercession. It didn't end. His ministry didn't end with the crucifixion or the ascension. But he is very much interested in your life today. An intercessor is one who can identify. To intercede for someone, you need to feel the pain and feel the experience. And Jesus can come alongside of every one of us and identify with our pain and our struggles. And he is there to intercede to the Father on our behalf. Hebrews 7.25, it says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So that's part of his life. He ever liveth to make intercession for us today. So when you're going through a difficulty and when you're going through a struggle, picture Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. He wants your best. He has your best in mind. He wants to bring redemption and salvation and new life and all these things. He wants to help strengthen us uh, when we need it. A beautiful picture of this is Stephen in Acts 7.56. Stephen was being stoned by the angry religious leaders. The stones were flying and he, just before his death, he saw heaven open and he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father standing. He was not sitting, he was standing and I, I love that picture where Jesus was connected to what's going on in Stephen's life. And I want you to all to know that Jesus is connected with what's going on in your life. If you feel this disconnect, it is not because of Jesus, because he ever liveth to make intercession. Sometimes we disconnect ourselves and we don't come to him in the way we should. And one last picture that I love is 1 John 2, 1. It says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we have an advocate with the Father. He's standing in our place and took our place. And he is there if we sin. These things are written that we do not sin, but if you do fall into sin, we have an advocate, someone to come to our rescue. So that's a little picture of his ministry. So in conclusion, who is Jesus to you? When you think of God and the triune God, three persons, uh, do you see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? And what do you think of when you think of the only begotten Son of God and the Father saying to the Son, This day have I begotten thee. So I said I'm going to open it up. We'll take a little bit of time. If anyone has anything to uh, share, this is your opportunity.
Agreed. Thank you. They, yes, they refer to the Holy Spirit as the great force. And uh, they would not deny the Son of God, but they would deny his divinity. Anyone else, when you think of the only begotten Son of God, and uh, maybe you have comments on, on that part, Begotten and not created. So I think that settled the uh, that settles the the error of Jesus had a beginning, as some would teach today that there was a beginning, and that uh, Jesus was the first one that was created uh, is not scriptural. Okay, Lord bless you as you. Um, get to know the triune God, appreciate the doctrine of the Trinity. It was my prayer that this would uh, whet your appetite to, to dig into scriptures and to be able to find the scriptures that support uh, the triune God and the doctrine of the triune God. Not just something that we believe, but we can support it in scripture. And so let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to gather and this uh, time to study the, the incarnation and, and the miraculous birth that happened 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem and the way that Jesus is changing hearts and changing lives and working in the church, building the church, and also looking forward to the day when Jesus will come again. 
We look forward to that day and actually living with Jesus forever. And I pray that we all could be strengthened in our faith, motivated to to uh, be evangelistic and to be uh, ever learning and digging deeper into Scripture. And I pray that you would strengthen us as a church body uh, through this Christmas season. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.